Warning, the following message may be offensive to some audiences. These audiences may include, but are not limited to, professing Christians who never read their Bible, sissies, sodomites, men with man buns, those who approve of men with man buns, man bun enablers, white knights for men with man buns, homemakers who have finished Netflix but don't know how to meal plan, and people who refer to their pets as fur babies. Viewer discretion is advised. People are tired of hearing nothing but doom and despair on the radio. The message of Christianity is that salvation is found in Christ alone, and any who reject Christ, therefore, forfeit any hope of salvation, any hope of heaven. The issue is that humanity is in sin, and the wrath of Almighty God is hanging over our heads. They will hear His words, they will not act upon them, and when the floods of divine judgment, when the fires of wrath come, they will be consumed, and they will perish. God wrapped himself in flesh, condescended, and became a man, died on the cross for sin, was resurrected on the third day, has ascended to the right hand of the Father, where he sits now to make intercession for us. Jesus is saying there is a group of people who will hear his words, they will act upon them, and when the floods of divine judgment come in that final day, their house will stand. Greetings, everyone. It's Rick Caldwell with Caldwell Apologetics. It's been some time. I know, I know, I know. Many of you are like, what happened to this guy? Is he still doing live streams on his channel? Uh, many of you may not be aware of this, but I was actually dealing with some uh, health issues and uh, had COVID, and then that led to something else. And I'm still dealing with some things now, and I'm... Uh, requesting your prayers. Uh, in fact, uh, if anyone has any prayer requests, we're going to take some of those and, and uh, bring those up towards the end of our discussion. And I'll be try to be sure to flag those. But uh, we have a special live stream today. It's a good to come back to do lives and actually do it not alone, but with some guests. So we're going to be talking about Arminian presuppositions today. And I'm not alone in this journey. In fact, I'm going to bring my friends in and they're they're gonna. I'm gonna give them an opportunity to introduce themselves. All right, we got the trio here together. So with me, we have Tim and Harrelson, and we're uh, we're gonna have a fun time, hopefully, and uh, glorify the Lord in the process, and have a wonderful conversation about this topic. But before we get started, I would be remiss if I don't open the floor to these two brothers in the Lord and give them an opportunity to introduce themselves. In fact, uh, let's go ahead. Tim, you go ahead and let's start with you. Share the, yeah, a, share your, the audience about who you are. And Yeah, I'm Tim Mullet. I uh, graduated from the Master's College in Santa Clarita, California, and then I went on to get an MDiv, at, uh, MDiv with Biblical Counseling Emphasis at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. Uh, my co-host, uh, Harrison, is a uh, we, we both do a podcast called the Bible Bash Podcast, and we've started that maybe at the beginning of the year in January, and we've been doing it ever since. And so maybe I'll just let him fill you in a little bit more of the information as far as that goes. Yeah. Yeah. So like Tim said, we started a podcast back around, yeah, right at the beginning of the year, basically in January. And really the whole point of the podcast is um, sort of the tagline is, you know, answering the questions you're not allowed to ask, equipping the saints for the works of ministry by answering the questions you're not allowed to ask. And so on the show, we frequently break what a lot of people affectionately refer to as the 11th commandment, right? Which is thou shalt be nice 
right? And so what's ended up happening is because because that's become, you know, sort of a, a, a rule that you're supposed to follow and never break, what's happened is there's a lot of topics that you're just not allowed to really talk talk about clearly on, right? And so so our whole our whole uh, our desire is to be able to speak on those various topics in a way that's clear, but that's also helpful um, for for Christians, especially. In, and I think that's really important, especially in a in a time um, where there really does seem to be a, a lack of strong leadership in the evangelical world in general, at least when it comes to those who hold, you know, the majority sway. Right. And so so that's our desire. We want to equip the saints for the works of ministry by answering the questions you're not allowed to ask. Um, I don't know if Tim mentioned this, but but he's uh, the pastor, one of the pastors uh, at our church. And then I'm the worship leader. Um, I went to New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary and um, I got my undergrad degree there in pastoral ministry. And I actually just graduated back in, um, I guess, April. So, yeah, the inspiration, I'll just say one more thing real quick. Uh, Yeah, the inspiration for our podcast is just that, uh, you know, if you wade into controversial territory, if you go into sacred cow territory, inevitably you're going to be accused of trying to Bible bash someone. And so we thought we would just go with it and just accept (laughs) it as a term of endearment. So (laughs) we're the Bible bash podcast. All right. I did not realize that I have pastor here. That's right. Now that's that's why that's why it's good to do the introductions is you never know what you're gonna find out, and uh, you know I had uh, just a little um, quick quick note here is I actually had my pastor uh, church I attend in Woodstock Georgia Faith Community Church uh, I actually had uh, Pastor Shane Hoyer on you about a month maybe two months ago talking about relevant issues so I, I, I didn't love, know you went to I faith love to get pastors on here. Uh, I didn't realize you went to faith. Yeah, my uh, I know Shane. I've I've uh, had uh, lunch with him several times. I used to live in Woodstock, and my my brother went oh. to his seminary, the Expositor Seminary. Yeah. So I'm very familiar with the church. Uh, they have a good biblical counseling uh, um, program over there, and I really appreciate what they're doing. Yeah, you know uh, Joel Teague. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, he's the one that's over the biblical counseling. Wow, that's right. Man, it's a small world we're in. So I'm learning something <laughs> new every day. That's right. right. <laughs> every time I mention Shane's name, like I know him. I know Shane. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's let's get into the topic. We're, we're, gentlemen, we're talking about a controversial. I, I say I came back to do lives and I'm over here dealing with a controversial topic. Right? You picked the right people to do it with. <laughs> Sounds like I got the right crew. <laughs> right. We are talking about Arminian presuppositions. And the reason why I want to deal with presuppositions and not deal with Arminian conclusions is that oftentimes we are arguing about our conclusions, but never deal with the foundations on which we derive our conclusions. So I want to back that train up, you know, on that on the track, right? And deal with the foundations that drive the conclusions that people have in different theological systems, right? So that's why I want to, instead of saying, let's deal with Arminian conclusions, I wanted to deal with Arminian presuppositions. One thing I want to say is that we all have presuppositions. Presuppositions, if I was going to define it, and and I welcome these two gentlemen to jump in, 
are like our foundational beliefs that govern everything that we hold dear. So there, there are non-negotiables, right? And right. so everyone has presuppositions. Christians have presuppositions. Unbelievers have presuppositions. The issue is, do our presuppositions conform with the truth? That's, mm -hmm. that's the issue at the end of the day. We all have presuppositions, but are we willing to test those presuppositions against the word of God? Right. Anything you, any comments from any of you on that? Yeah, most people just assume that when they're uh, approaching the scripture, that they're approaching it from just a you know blank starting point. They're not aware of all the uh, beliefs that they hold prior to even coming to the scripture. And so the more that we can make those uh, come to light, the more that we can shine a light on those uh, different views that we have, uh, the more that we begin to, eat, I, I think, even realize that... Um, how many how many beliefs that we're reading into the scripture and, and we need to try to make a good faith effort to conform all those things to what the Bible actually says are going to truly be uh, biblical. Yeah, I, I think you bring up a good point, too, in the sense that oftentimes in these conversations, we're talking about conclusions, right? Well, presuppositions are typically I mean, they're typically they're those things that you feel like you don't even have to mention because they're so baked into the way that you think. Um, and so I, I do think it is uh, it is a good practice to I mean, inwardly to think about your own presuppositions. Where am I at? How do they compare to the truth? Um, but then oftentimes in conversations, um, especially on topics like this or, or or things that are very polarized, other things that are very polarizing, like abortion, for example, you know, we can we can talk all day about, you know, why why abortion is actually murder and and people who don't view that the same way as us, they're never going to hear that because ultimately they have a totally different presupposition that you have to address in order to get them to, you know, hopefully come to the conclusion that it is murder. So, so I do think it is really, really vital that we, we focus on presuppositions because without that foundational work, then yeah, we're just going to be ships in the night. Yeah. Passing one another and, Right. And, and, and talking past one another, right? So let's deal with the elephant in the room, right? Uh, we're going to start with our first presupposition, Arminian presupposition, and that's the one of freedom of choice. Freedom of choice and free will are synonymous. And so I'll, here's here's the statement. Here's the presupposition here. And and I and feel free. These these are my my notes here. But feel free to you know this is why we're doing a collab here. Feel free to redefine it, add to it. Uh, that's why I have you guys here. I have the pastors here. I have the those who have been seminary trained here uh, to, to help me out. So, uh, so the proposition or the presupposition here as presented is choice and free will are synonymous. If a person acts freely and voluntarily, he must have, quote unquote, free will. Okay. So and I think it's important that we define free will, right? Because I, I hear people say, for example, free will is in the Bible. They, you know, go to the Old Testament it's talking about free will offerings. So free will is clearly in the Bible. So I, I does, does any one of you want to, you know, as far as the Arminian position, uh, do we try to get a working definition or uh, some thoughts behind uh, what we mean, what they mean by free will? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, full disclosure, I grew up uh, Arminian essentially. So I grew up believing in free will. We were very uh, anti-Calvinistic uh, growing up. So, you know, this is something that was my position growing up. And it was an assumption that was basically un, um, underneath the surface. It was unchallenged in certain ways. It was just assumed to be irrefutably true that we have free will. Uh, but then the kind of free will that we were talking about wasn't... Um, you know, just the ability to make choices. It wasn't something along those lines. The kind of free will that we were talking about was a pretty extreme view of uh, human freedom in that, you know, we we believed essentially that in order to be f free, our will essentially had to be free from outside uh, control, uh, meaning like we couldn't be decisively influenced in any way. So, you know, our, our will had to be free even from the influence of God in that way. So, it, ha it you know, our will was essentially like a, uh, you know, a compound around ourselves that God couldn't come <laughs> into. And that's, that's essentially what we understood uh, free, like true free, free will to mean that, you know, that my will couldn't be decisively influenced one way or another. So I had to have the power of contrary choice. I had to be able to do, you know, both a and not a in any given moral inter interaction that I was going to have. And so, you know, that that basic uh, presupposition, you know, in my own life, that was a presupposition that led me to essentially to agnosticism and close to atheism, really, because, uh, you know, I understood that if, um, you, you know, it could be, I could just tell you a little bit about me. I mean, I, you know, there's a sense in which if I, I understood that God was limited very severely because he couldn't change wills, you know, so, you know, you just try to pray a simple prayer like, Lord, save this person. And then you have to stop and you have to say, well, you can't really, they have to choose of their own free will to believe. So then, then you try to modify the prayer, you know, to where you say, well, Lord, send someone to go preach the gospel to them. But then you, you say, well, wait a minute. You can't do that because they have to be able to go of their own free choice. And then it's like, well, Lord, uh, help them to believe. I don't even know what to pray anymore, you know. And so for <laughs> me, for me, this belief in libertarian free will ultimately led me to not pray anymore because I realized that God was could he was he was handicapped. He couldn't do anything anyways. And then that, you know, ultimately led me to agnosticism close to atheism because of that basic uh, belief that was underneath the surface that I really need to conform to scripture. Yeah. And, and I think kind of piggybacking off of that for me personally, um, you know, once I became a Christian, as I, I, I had sort of quasi grown up in church and I, I wasn't a Christian until a little bit later on in life, like right after college. Um, not, not my, not when I went to New Orleans. I, I attended a different university a few years before that, and I ended up dropping out. Um, once I dropped out, I became a Christian and really started. That was when I started taking, studying the Bible a lot, a lot more serious. And one of the things for me that I really struggled with, um, I, I started out as an Arminian. You know, I believed that we all had free will that we could, you know, choose to reject. Uh, God's offer, you know, I didn't really even have a category for the time uh, or at the time for any sort of like, you know, called or predestined um, chosen. I didn't have any sort of category for that. We are all the same. You know, we all equally have uh, the ability to accept or reject the offer of the gospel. 
But then one of the issues that I kept running into, and ultimately I think what made me change my view on the, on um, salvation in general was just, I mean, as you read the Bible, you see over and over and over again, all of the ways in which God um, works through people and he doesn't work through people in an indirect way. I mean, I mean, the Bible even talks about God working, working in the hearts of men, like, right. He, he hardens Pharaoh's heart, for example, that's not, that's not, I always had a hard time maintaining the category of free will that is totally untouchable by God. Um, and still reading passages like that and trying to maintain both at the same time. I had no way to really um, harmonize those two things. And ultimately after, you know, spending a few years really working through it, ultimately I just decided I needed to abandon my view of uh, free will the way that I, you know, the way that I had defined it and just accept the fact that God actually can work in our hearts in a very specific way. And he can um, not, I don't know the override is really the word that I want to use, but I'll just use that for now override. Right. And, and he can do whatever he wants with us. So ultimately for me, I, I just trying to read the Bible, eventually I was forced to just abandon my view of, of free will Okay. And you said reading the Bible, you were forced. I, I want to dig in because, you know, that's a segue to a wonderful question. What in the Bible? Like you say, you're reading the Bible. And, and I hear this all the time from people like, well, it wasn't that you guys read the Bible. Is that you read some other theologian. And then that is what kind of tipped you over the edge. But I heard you said you read the Bible. So I want to know. I'm going to act like an outsider, right? <laughs> yeah. I know what I read, okay? But what did you read, Harrison? What, what, was it, what was the tipping point for you? Or maybe there were multiple tipping points in Scripture that you might want to bring up that uh, may be worth presenting. Yeah, well, I think the, the clear, probably the most concise uh, place to go in Scripture is obviously Romans 9. I mean... <sighs> I had read Romans nine plenty of times, but like I said, I just never really taken my study of the Bible very serious up to that point. And by the time that I had gotten to Romans nine and was really, I was adamant about like, I need to understand what this chapter is talking about. I was, I was basically just left with, yeah, no choice in terms of my understanding of free will. I mean, you, you can look at Romans chapter nine and I mean, there's just, I mean, there's multiple examples of God, of God, um, you know, working through people however he pleases. Right. So, you know, he chooses he chooses the nation of Israel. Right. He um, he loves Jacob, but he hates Esau. Right. He uh, uses fair. He uses Pharaoh for his glory. Right. And so he's doing all of the work in these things. There's no there's no mention of of them doing anything, anything. In fact, Paul even talks about it's before before they did anything. And in the case of of Jacob and Esau. And so um, by the time I got to that chapter, I think that's probably the most, you know, that's not to say. I think a lot of times people take up issue when you go to places like Romans nine, because 
it's kind of just like, well, of course you're going to go to Romans nine. That's like, that's like your favorite chapter in the Bible. The, that's not necessarily true. The reality is I think you can read through the Bible from start to finish and you get these same ideas throughout consistently. This idea of like God choosing us as opposed to us choosing him. Right. But I think Romans nine is probably it's the reason Romans nine is helpful is because it's, it's a fairly um, concise um, passage to look at that really does explain a lot of the different features of the, of the belief in Calvinism. Yeah. For, for me, it was, um, it's definitely one of those things where, I mean, there's so many passages in the Bible that speak to God uh, violating people's will, if you want to put it in that way, <laughs> changing their will. I mean, it's just all over the place. It's just, uh, you can't even read the Bible without seeing it over and over and over again. It's not the kind of thing that you make up. I mean, uh, you know, like the king's heart's like a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. I don't know what to do with that if, if, I, if I have to maintain that and also a belief in libertarian free will that God, like, cannot visibly influence my will. I don't, I don't know what to do with that. I don't know what to do with the opening, you know, the gospel of John who says, you know, as many as who believed in him, you know, uh, you know, who were born not of blood or the will of the flesh or the will of man or of God, but of God. You know, I don't know what to do with that kind of language. I don't know what to do with passages like you find in Daniel, where Daniel gives, uh, or God gives Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego wisdom and favor in the sight of the Babylonians. I, I don't know how you give people, you know, wisdom and or favor and compassion and all that. I don't know how you do that kind of thing if you have a God who can't step in and influence the will one way or another. I mean, you can think about like you who were dead in your trespasses of sin. He made you alive, that kind of language. But I think for me, like I'm reading all these passages, but my, my uh, will stubbornly wanted to hold on to this idea of free will. But, you know, I went through like a thought experiment for me um, that it, you know, I'm looking at all these passages. I made a big list of them. I had like a hundred passages on this, this that I didn't know what to do with that I was fighting. But then I just thought to myself, I was like, um, you know, every Christian has a category when we die, when we die and we go to heaven, God is going to so decisively influence our will to such a degree that we're never going to sin again. So every Christian believes that, like that's our hope. And we're not going to be robots. We're not going to be automatons. We're not going to be mindless. Like we're going to get to heaven. And for some reason, he's going to change our nature into such a comprehensive degree that we're not going to be able to, we're not even going to desire to sin again. And we're not going to be able to sin again. So we have that category. And then we also have a category after we become a Christian that God began a good work in us. And he's progressively conforming us to his image. To, he does, he, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. And whatever he's doing, he's influencing our will. Most people believe that, even Arminians believe that God's doing something there, you know. Yeah. But then, what, like, if, but then what you have to ask is, why is there some huge hang up? Like, why is it that he can decisively change your will completely after you die or, you know, or when he comes back? And that he can maybe has a process of doing that when you're alive still. Right. But then but he can't do that the moment of salvation or before. Why can't he do who's to say? Right. And then if you just say, well, obviously, I'm not a robot when I die. And obviously, I'm not a robot during the sanctification process. It must just be that this presupposition is bad. You know? right. <laughs> it's bad. And then I can just let all those passages speak. You know, I can just I can right. go with them. I don't have to fight them anymore. And so that for me, that was 
like the tipping point where I'm just like, I don't know why I'm fighting pre-salvation when I have a category for post-salvation and post-death. Yeah. Like, what am I doing? You know? And yeah, so I, thought I think one of the things, let me share a little bit that kind of helped me is I had to step back and not deal with the human response element. I think when we start there, we're starting in the wrong place. I stepped back and went up 900 feet in the air. And essentially, what did God's, what was God's purpose? And what I mean by purpose is purpose with creation, which has direct correlation with his purpose with redemption, right? You can't separate the two because he created in order to, for, for his glory, right? He did everything for his glory. He is in the enterprise of glorifying himself. Self-glorification is, permeates the scriptures, and so even that is even true of salvation. So I, so if you notice throughout the text of scripture, salvation is comprehensive, right? It, 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 it's total salvation in that the total man is being dealt with, right? And ultimately in our glorification, even separated from the presence of sin altogether. So you read a, you read a passage uh, like, First Peter chapter two verse twenty four. I, I always love that passage because it talks about the work of the cross, right? A redemption, um, redemption uh, being met out in the person of Jesus Christ, person work, and it says that he uh, he essentially um, bore our sins in his body that we might live to righteousness. Right. And you see that in Scripture. So it, it gives me clues and hints that that God's intent and purpose for salvation is total. And that when you, and when you also see scriptures like John six verses thirty six through forty, where you have this plan of between the father and the son and the son perfectly carrying out the plan of the father and he would lose none and carrying out the purpose of the father. And then in that purpose, all that, that all those that he died for would be uh, raised up on the last day. And that's the, that's the fulfillment of the carrying out that purpose. And you see that throughout scripture, you see that in Hebrews about how he accomplished Christ's eternal redemption. You see all of that in scripture. So I start with what helped me is starting with what did God purpose? Not necessarily what, how do we respond? And I think so much of the conversation starts with human response and doesn't start with what has God purposed in salvation, right? We read scripture and I'll, I'll be done. I'll be done. We read scripture like uh, Ephesians chapter one, verse four. I had a lengthy conversation with people that said that has nothing to do with salvation. That's That has to do with, you know, him, you know, you being presented as holy and blameless. I said that has everything to do with salvation. To be pre being presented as holy and blameless is the comprehensive nature of salvation. But when was that planned? Right? Before right. creation, right? Uh, before the foundation of the world. You have those texts there that you you have to kind of squirm to, to, to kind of not see what those texts are saying. And there's the choice, as, as was presented before Romans 9, there is the choosing of individuals there in that text, just like you see very similar in Romans, Romans 9 and some other places in Scripture. 
but it doesn't it never precludes human choice see i think this is the this is the false narrative it's either it's it's a what i call the um either or fallacy either god either you're a robot or you have choice <laughs> mm. it's an either or fallacy no God frees your will so that you res you will respond in the way that God has purposed. In the okay. day of his power, they will be willing. That kind of idea is what you see uh, presented in the text of Scripture. Uh, but it always starts with God. That's why uh, one of my I'll just leave I'll just leave with this choices being made, but God working through that choice. I think some of you you've already presented. Um, several texts but I, I like john chapter three and there's a lot of places we could go but like john for me is one that sticks out john three beginning at verse 19 it makes it makes a distinction and the difference is what god does that's the difference okay so if you look at a, if you look i'm going to start at verse 19 it says and this is the judgment the light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. And I think King J says their deeds were evil. You know, some people like to hear the deeds rather than the works, but same <laughs> point. Verse 20, for everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But this is the key. Whoever does what is true comes to the light. So it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. And the whole idea of being carried out in God here is that God is data. He's the instrumental means by which those works are carried out. And so the difference between those workers of iniquity and those who come to God is God himself. And you see that in multiple places throughout scripture. So I'll I'm, I'm well, box. <laughs> well, so far it's so foreign to think that way uh, in general yeah. because you you know most most of the you know if you want to just over overgeneralize uh, yeah. most of the American church is so man centered fundamentally in everything that it does and so you know most of um, it, it's a very you know foreign thought to even think in a God centered way at all and then as you read the Bible you know it does. Like one of the things that stood out to me when I started studying the Bible in a serious way, uh, meaning just reading it over and over and over again, is how God-centered the Bible actually is. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. and like you're, you know, you're trained to think, you know, to take yeah. the Bible and take it out of context, and then you know, read all the stories as if they're about you. You know, like somehow yeah. David killing Goliath is about you winning a football game or something like that. <laughs> and I mean, you, you're trained to do that, you know, like to, but not you're not. You're trained to think about the Bible from a distance that way, right. as if it's all about you. And then when you approach a, a theological discussion like this, then what happens is that you just you've been trained to think everything's about you and everything's about yeah. you. And then when you really encounter how God centered God actually is and how God centered he is in salvation itself, it can be a startling and arresting kind of thought because you you, you really have been trained, you know, from a very early age to think that that, you know, the entirety of the bible is all about you and how you know special and unique and wonderful you are and god just you know came to give you self-esteem and all that you know you, uh, both and, of you are familiar with tom askell i would yes, assume right yes sir. yeah so i mean i i think he says from time to time one of the most controversial verses in the bible is genesis 1 1 in the beginning god right and then the rest we got the rest right 
Right. Uh, but that's the point is that this is God, God throughout. And I think to your point, Tim, you see texts where over and over throughout the Bible, Old and New Testament, you hear, I didn't do this for your sake. I did this for my name's sake. I did this for my name over and over right. from Old Testament, to New Testament, the emphasis on God, God's name. And even the, the, what was brought up earlier, Romans 9 with Pharaoh, it's about the name, his name being declared right. throughout the earth, right? Uh, right? Even using Pharaoh in that regard, right? So you see that throughout the text of scripture. And you, well, and then, you know, every story is about yeah. how bad humans are, you know, <laughs> you can't even read through the Old Testament without realizing that all the good guys are the <laughs> bad guys, you know, and the <laughs> You know, God's the only one who's consistent and faithful and reliable. It's a story about him, you know, but it does. You have to have a it, it, it doesn't come natural to individuals trained in American megachurch culture yeah. to read the Bible and think in a very God centered way. Like, yeah. One, one thing that I've found in conversations that I've had with, you know, with Arminians um, or I guess, you know, sometimes sometimes people don't like to be called Arminian, so they like to be called, you know, um, I guess like free will Christians or something. I don't I don't even know if that's the official term or not. But um, one thing that I found a question that I found to be pretty helpful oftentimes is to just you know, sometimes it's easy for them to because we've been we've been trained up to think oftentimes that the Bible is sort of like, yes, yes, it's about God, but it's also about us too, right? That that kind of view, um, instead of saying, hey, the Bible is about God and his glory, right? And and we're, uh, certainly we are, we get to be included in that, but then all, we're not the main characters of the Bible, right? Um, one of the things that I like to ask people is, okay, so just, let's just stop, you know, debating Calvinism versus Arminianism for a second. And let me just ask you, so let's just assume for a moment that Calvinism and the doctrines that it represents would bring God more glory than Arminianism. Would you, would you be willing to accept it then? If it, if it brought more glory to God, or is your understanding that there is no way that this could ever be true, no matter what, right? Um, and if people, if people's, if people's response is still to squirm when they think about like this brings more glory to God than to say we should be able to accept or reject, then then that's where I try to tell you, okay, you you've got an issue. Then you are now taking. Um, your own thoughts and beliefs about what is right and what is wrong and elevating them above scripture and the, and God's purpose, which is his glory, which is his glory. Right. And that I have, I have seen before how that kind of helps people think through. Maybe I, maybe I actually am because no one ever, no one ever sits down and says, no, yeah, I actually am just elevating my own desires and my own understanding of right and wrong over what the Bible says. No one sits down and says that, right? But then if you can if you can ask those types of questions and get to the root of what's the motivation behind your understanding uh, um, in this area of soteriology, then that I've seen that be really helpful for a lot of people. Yeah, yeah I, I think you bring something up, Harrison, about 
the different perspectives. Like the one perspective is, is God's purpose. Remember, and I brought this up earlier about what was God's purpose with creation? Was his purpose with creation to ultimately um, focus on the freedom of the creature? Or was it to glorify God in creation? Right. And in creation, when I mean by glorify, I want to unpack that a little bit. I mean in the demonstration of his attributes, right? That how do we know anything about mercy? Well, mercy is a vacuous term if we didn't have to be mercy, <laughs> which right. implies what? That there was sin in the world, that we needed redemption, that a redemption was in fact applied. How do we know anything about the justice of God? Like we could, we could hear this, but how how would we practically know anything about the justice of God unless it was demonstrated in creation, right? Um, and so we see the justice of God on display. the The most signal example of that is the is the cross, right? Where the wrath of God, that the Father was poured on the Son at full strength, right? We see. We see the the fact that the wages of sin is death; that the justice of God must be paid, must be satisfied, and 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 then we think things like the the grace of God. All of these things they're on display, and I think one of the things that's amazing uh, is when you read like um, Romans, the epistle to the Romans. When you get to chapter twelve, it says, "Therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God," pointing back to the previous eleven chapters of all the things God has done through Christ Jesus that we can just say hallelujah to, right? This is how you need to conduct yourself. This is how you need to conform yourself because that 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 evangelical foundation becomes the very motivation of Christian conduct. We see that kind of preamble in chapter in chapter 12. But mercy, that idea of mercies would be nothing unless there was a demonstration of that mercy, right? So mm-hmm. It goes back to your point, Harrison, is like, you know, how do we how do we appreciate the glory of God if the glory of God is veiled? It's, it's not present. We don't we just hear about it, but it's never on display. And we understand that God is glorious in his own right. He is he is self-sufficient. Right. He is self-existent. But there but for the sake of the creature, he displays his glory. Uh, and what's amazing is that when we respond rightly right we're actually it's like a boomerang effect going on we actually are demonstrating the glory of god and our love for god is also demonstrating god's glory because it's it's basically demonstrating god's love through the creature uh and so it all leads back to god all roads ultimately lead back to god whether in mercy or in judgment and condemnation all roads ultimately lead to the glorification of god well, that ultimately is a difference. I think another presupposition that uh, divides, you know, more Calvinistic kind of systems and Arminian systems is that the um, notion of like what is God's chief purpose. And you know, I, I've been under Arminian pastors, and they would answer that question to be, you know, essentially the redemption of man. So it's a very man-centered view of God's purpose in general. And one of the things that I think um, faith, you know. Calvinist or you know individuals who are reading the Bible <laughs> come away with is more though that God's chief purpose is to glorify himself you know yes and then our chief goal is to glorify God too Amen. and that that was something that you know it 
um, when you grow up in more of an Armenian kind of system, you don't necessarily say that. But then when you read the Bible, it's all over the place that this is about God's glory from start to finish. You know, yeah. we exist to the praise of his glorious grace, you right. know, all that. And, and it's just um, w w when you see it, you see it. It's everywhere, you know, and it's not that you read it in. It's just everywhere. Right. God's glory is the the main thing and it's all over the place in the bible but that right. is a big difference between just these two systems in general is one is more man-centered fundamentally even in how it answers those kind of questions um too and and so that's something that you know i've it, it's um very explicit in you know how many armenians will speak about this kind of subject it isn't first and foremost primarily about the glory of god in their mind all right, I'll put a comment up here from Jewel, a uh, longtime follower of the channel. Uh, before I read more scriptures, my trouble with election was mostly a feeling of insecurity, not denying election altogether, but worrying about not being elect. Uh, not, no one wants to be a vessel of wrath, referring to Romans 9 there at the end. Sure. Uh, any comments, gentlemen, on this on this comment here about election and yeah. I guess the, the security of the believer? Yeah, a lot of people. I, I think a lot of people struggle along those lines because they. I mean, whether it's for sure. themselves or it's for loved ones, like uh, in general, where you know, if election is true, then God is you know divinely passing over some people for salvation or not. You know, extending His salvific grace to everyone equally. Yeah. Then the question becomes, you know, well, how do I know if I'm elect? for one it, it, like in the first instance but then you know what about my family members who are not elect how like that doesn't like and there's nothing i can do or nothing that they can do to make themselves elect and so how do you respond to that you know isn't that uh, a problem in certain ways you know how is it um you know, how does it relate to me? But then, I mean, the truth of the bible is if you repent of your sins and believe in the good news you'll be saved and you know god doesn't want us to be troubled by that he doesn't want us to be confused about that what we're talking about is like the, the math behind the scenes you know so to speak but then you know anyone who calls upon the name of the lord will be saved and you know if you confess with your mouth jesus is the lord believe in your heart god raised him from the dead you'll be saved so all those things are true like the issue is well how do you come to do that well you're only going to come to do that by god's work in your own heart in your own life but like the promises are there you know and god God's not trying to confuse you. You know, if you will repent and if you will believe, he will save you. And and if you call upon his name, you will be saved. And the same thing is true for your family members. And the only way that they're going to do that is if you share the gospel with them. And so, you know, Calvinism isn't something that denies our responsibility. It encourages our responsibility because we know that, you know, if God's at work, he, you know, he, he may have many people in this place, so to speak, and he can save, you know, by many or few. And he, the gospel is the power of God into salvation. And all we have to do is just trust in his means, not in our own cleverness, our own tricks, our own tactics, or just trust what he says is true and, and respond in faith and repentance. And, and, you know, he'll, he's a, he's a good savior. Yeah. And, and I think too, um, for the person who's for the person, sometimes we can kind of get in our own head with with these doctrines and i think um one of the encouraging things to think through is for the person who's sitting there and wondering you know worrying for themselves especially if they um haven't necessarily like they're they haven't claimed to be christian for a very long time they're real they're 
they've just heard the gospel or, or they're relatively, you know, new to the faith. One of the encouraging signs is, you know, ultimately what's happening, hopefully behind a worry about not being one of the elect not being one of the predestined. Um, ultimately what's happening there is there's a fear of the Lord, hopefully. And, and we know that fear of the Lord is, is the beginning of wisdom. That's what the Bible tells us. And so for that person, they're still much farther along at right in their understanding than the person who just totally outright rejects God entirely and shows no fear for his judgment. The person who's worried if they're not elect, they're they're worried about the judgment. They know there's judgment, right? And so so I think uh, that's that's a good sign. Now that's not necessarily a guarantee for anyone, right? I mean there can I mean we know that um, even even as Calvinists, I mean, there's still a category for apostates, right? And so, um, but I do I do think that is ultimately um, an encouraging sign, and and I would I would encourage people to not ultimately. I think it's what Tim said. Ultimately, we're talking about like the math behind the scenes, right? And so sometimes, like I said, we can kind of get in our own heads with these doctrines and think, you know, try and almost make it like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Right. right? Um, so one thing I will add, uh, and then I'll pull up a comment slash question here, I think from mop up here, um, is that, um, the warrant of the gospel is not election. It's repentance and faith. And Tim brought that up earlier. And, uh, I think that's such an important thing. We don't go around preaching election. We're preaching the gospel. That's, right. that's, you know, the, the means by which man will, will can be made right with God. And essentially, we're presenting Christ to the sinner, right? That's who we're presenting to the sinner. And it's through Christ, all the spiritual blessings in the heavenlies, right, come to fruition, according to uh, Ephesians 1, 3. So that's who we're presenting. And and, and as uh, Tim even said, it's, it's the promises, right, of God, that if you put your full confidence and trust in Christ, He's an all-sufficient Savior. He will save to the uttermost, quoting Hebrews 5.25, right? 7.25, rather. That, 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 that's, the, that's, the, that's the issue that we can't walk away from. I mean, even the Hebrew writer was saying, look to Christ, who's the uh, author and perfecter of faith. That's, that's the fundamental issue. Yeah. It's not no one's ever no one's ever saying hope yeah. you're elect. You yeah. Know, right? that, yeah. It's never. And, and that's why that's kind of a straw man. Right. When I hear people say, well, how do you know you're elect? Well, the thing is, we point people to Christ. We send yeah. people to Christ, the Savior, the Lord and Savior. That's who we send send people to. And the thing is, you know, those. And, and here's the thing with Scripture. And here's the interesting thing I wanted to bring up. There are twin there are twin truths in scripture. You see that in Philippians chapter 2 verses 12 and 13 where it talks about work out your salvation with fear and trembling but doesn't end there for it's God who's, who has a work and it will for his good pleasure. So you got both things happening. You have the imperative to strive, right, in your sanctification, but you also see that you only can do it if God is working in you. So you have these two realities and you see that in multiple places in scripture that these twin truths, I remember Spurgeon was asked, I think, I think, I think you guys probably know where I'm going with this. Like, how do you reconcile these, <laughs> these twin truths in scripture? He says, I only reconcile enemies, not friends. Right. These are friends, ladies and gentlemen, the fact that yes, we are called to be holy, to live a holy life, but we only do that by the power of God, the Holy Spirit. 
So right. I, I wanted to bring that up. And, and here's the thing. Our sanctification is not the basis of our standing with God. It's the personal work of Christ Jesus. I always want to lead people back to Christ. So that's who we got to remember. Every every writer of the epistles always points people back to Jesus. Right. right. And that's the key behind this. Right. 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 Let me pull up um, mop ups question. I didn't screen it, so I don't know what. Let's see what he's going to say here. Uh, pulling up. <laughs> How do we respond to this idea of a corporate predestination that eliminates the idea that God is choosing individuals, but providing a process that uh, destines one to Christ if man chooses to believe? So individual election, you know, this it's very popular, right? This idea of corporate election. He predestines um, the plane. He doesn't predestine the individual yeah, to get on. God <laughs> has a plan. He has a plan. You hear it. Right. And if you get on the plane, then you're good. So God, God right. doesn't actually save anybody individually. He has a plan. And, and if you want to be down with God in salvation, you get on the plane. That's essentially, and I know that's kind of a caricature of uh, corporate election, but that's essentially what it is in a nutshell. Sure. Yeah, I think um, for me, I mean, I hate to bring it back to Romans 9, but I just have to. Um, it's your favorite verse, Harrison. It, it's my favorite. Yes, yeah, my favorite, favorite, chapter, favorite, favorite chapter. chapter in the Bible. Mm -hmm. uh, it's the only one I read, basically. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but I think so probably one of the, um, I guess, stronger I don't even necessarily know that I would say stronger because I don't think that really communicates what I what I think about the argument, but there is an argument against, um, you know, our understanding of Romans nine that would basically say what kind of what you're saying, Hey, he's, he's, um, talking about a corporate type of election. That's why Paul is bringing up the, the Israelites. Right. And, um, I think the, the problem I have with that is just, even in that chapter, he mentions individuals, Paul mentions individuals that Jacob, he's Esau, actively Euro. choosing and rejecting. So obviously there's a category in the Bible uh, for, you know, for God choosing individuals uh, over other individuals. And then he, and then he expounds on it later when he talks about, you know, um, the clay and the potter, right. And, and who can, who can object to what the potter wants to do with his clay, right. Uh, with individual vessels. Right. And so, I, I just, I think when you look at that and then you look at the whole of, of the Bible in general, I mean, think about Jesus, for example, what does Jesus do? He picks 12 apostles, yeah. right? He picks 12 individuals, right? Yeah. They didn't, he, they didn't. Chose Abraham, an individual. Right. And, yeah, and so Jacob you just, so you just see throughout scripture, God is, is totally within his rights to pick individuals. Right. He does it in every conceivable way you can imagine. So, I mean, he does, I, I mean, you, you know, you read through second John, second John's written to the elect lady, <laughs> uh, you know, so that doesn't, that doesn't fit very well with the idea of corporate election, but you know, like of the twins, Jacob and Esau, they're both. Yeah. Okay. If you want to say they represent groups, they represent groups for sure, but they also are individuals. They happen to be individuals. Pharaoh's an individual, right? The 12 apostles, they're individuals. 
Um, now there's, I mean, there's, I guess the response that people have to that kind of thing is to say, I think Leighton Flowers talks about, well, he only chooses individuals for service or something along those lines yeah. uh, in that way is not just for salvation. But I mean, I don't know. Second John one, the elect lady seems like an individual to me, yeah. uh, unless you want to, you know, uh, turn that into a church in, in some kind of allegorical way. I, I, I'm not, uh, that that wouldn't be the direction I would go with it, but uh, you know, it it uh, I think that there you you just read through examples of in the scripture, and you know, first and foremost, Abraham he's an individual, isn't he? He's an individual that he comes to represent a nation, sure, but then like it does matter whether or not you're a member of the Israelites or if you're a member of the nations, and I think that you know some people really don't think very clearly about the nature of God's wrath as it relates to the whole of the Old Testament. So you have like a New Testament doctrine of salvation that's really divorced from the entire Bible. And when you think about like the way that salvation actually worked, you have individuals like the most people throughout the history of the world have had zero access to the gospel whatsoever, like no access to the gospel. And God decided to take a pagan idolater like Abraham and choose him and provide a way, a path of salvation. So, you know, with the Samaritan Jew debate, Jesus said salvation is of the Jews, right? And that that is where salvation came from. He like he throughout most of the history of the world, he was only providing salvation in a very unique way to a very specific people and the vast majority of people who existed were damned. And so it does make like it does make a big difference what which group that you're a part of, right? <laughs> as far as that goes and you can't just get him off you can't just say, "Well, he's just choosing a plan." Well, think about the way salvation worked in the old covenant. And, you know, if you don't want to talk about the new, if you want to play games with the new covenant, think about how it worked in the old covenant. How it worked in the old covenant is everyone went to hell except for, you know, select people amongst the Jews and very few, you know, uh, uh, um, Gentiles from that point. I mean, there were examples, but they were the they were the exception, not the rule. And so God obviously has a habit of choosing individuals for salvation, Abraham being one of the chief that you can think of. Yeah. And I, and I would also add very good stuff here. I would also add that, you know, for like do a word study where for the word purpose in the, in the epistles where God is the subject and you will see it's not merely a plan, but how God energetically effectively accomplishes his purpose is always right. in view. So the idea that God creates the plan and it's up for the creature to, to sure. you know, God did his part. I've even heard this is this, this might sound mm -hmm. horrendous, but I even heard it said, said like this way. God did his part. It's up to you to do your part. And so <laughs> yep. I'm not exactly. Yep. The other way they say it is God is for you. The devil is against you and you have to. Oh, that's it. even worse. That's 10 times worse. <laughs> that's 10 times worse. <laughs> God voted for you. The devil against you. You're oh, free no, will. no, no, no way. Deciding vote. That's the way it worked. <laughs> this is the deciding vote. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it, it's like he's, he's a campaigning, right? And it's up for you to decide who wins, right? No, God, God has purposed specifically a plan and he will carry out his plan. The fact, see, I think what people, what I brought up earlier is that we got to start thinking about what did God not only plan, but what did he accomplish? Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, one of the books I like to read from time to time is Redemption Accomplished and Applied by uh, John Murray. Great book. And uh, we need to think about what was planned. Yeah, there was a plan. God didn't just create and then, you know, and not have a plan with his creation, but he also applied that plan. 
in history, right? When we think of, for example, about Galatians chapter four, in the fullness of time, he sent forth his son, born of a woman, born of the law. That's the application of the plan being carried out to fruition. So we, we don't just see God with a plan. We see the ex execution of the plan at every at every stage. Right. I mean, you All know, right. Ephesians, Let me see one, Ephesians 1 talks about, you know, he chose us in him before the foundation of, of the world that we may be holy and blameless before him in love, you know, having predestined us as adopt, for, uh, for adoption of sons. So he's chosen specific people. I got a comment here, uh, 1689 Baptist, Rick, I have a family member that uh, professes for 30 years, yet they have not have knowledge. Is this a red flag? God's grace always comes with knowledge in the holy writ. Yeah, we're growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord. That's the trajectory should be in. I mean, we should be growing in our understanding, but let's face it, we do live in a kind of a culture that's very anti-intellectual where, you know, you let go, you let God, it's all about being led by the spirit. I, I, I don't, I'm not trying to put that person in the box, but there is this kind of idea that to really dig deep and want to know more, it, it basically, it basically is in violation of what you see uh, the apostle Paul pray at the end of Ephesians chapter three, right? That we would grow in our knowledge, right? Of that doctrine of the Lord, right? That was the prayer, not just for one group of people, but that was for the entire church that we'd be growing. And then you also see that in Ephesians chapter four, the very next chapter where, you know, there were blessings given to the body of Christ so that we wouldn't be carried away by every wind of doctrine, right? So you, there is this emphasis in the local church, but then as individual believers that we should be growing in our knowledge of the Lord. Um, any comments on that comment? A lot, a lot of the, um, I think the charismatic like part of it's the anti-intellectualism as you describe, but then I think a charismatic church is kind of uh, taught individuals that basically Bible study is functionally irrelevant because you can just be like Beth Moore and just, uh, you know, basically just hear God speak to you, you know, personal one-on-one. Uh, -on -one. And so I think like in a lot of ways, there's a lot of people who are looking to revel like looking to, you know, direct divine revelation, like apart from the Bible in that way too. But then, I mean, I think the idea that, the, the idea of a, of a Christian that really has no interest in reading the Bible ever and ha makes no effort to read the Bible ever, you know, like that, that kind of idea in general should be kind of an oxymoron. Like that would be like the, you know, the baby who doesn't long for milk, right? <laughs> the, yeah. Like, so if, you know, the, the idea of like the Christian who's just permanently stunted, in their faith, not growing at all, not wanting to grow, not going to the Bible, not going to those words, which are life. Uh, you know, that should give us great cause. I mean, uh, Jesus says that many in the last day will say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all these wonderful things for you? And he, say, and he, and he basically says, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And so there is the kind of individual who is characterized by just a rejection of all that God says. And, and, you know, that's characteristic of them and that should give us concern. You might not be able to like tell in every case what you're looking at in particular, but there are a lot of people who basically they just got their fire insurance. They think they're good and now they've moved on, you know, and so that's all they want. Yeah, I think, you know, God says in the Old Testament, my people perish for a lack of knowledge. Hmm. Right. And so so how do we, you know, 
as Christians, we're supposed to pursue righteousness. We're supposed to pursue honoring God. The problem is if we don't know what he said is righteous, if we don't know what he has said honors him, then there's no way that we're ever going to be able to pursue those things. And I think, you know, you brought up, um, you know, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, right? Part of part of working out your salvation with fear and trembling is examining yourself to see if you demonstrate the the fruits of the spirit. Now, if you're a if you're a if you've been a Christian for you know two months, don't expect to you know be able to look back and see just necessarily a night and day shift in every aspect of your life. That's certainly possible, but if you're you know thirty years down the road. And you're like, and you can look at your life, and you and you're honest with yourself, and you don't see a, a, I mean, massive change at that point. Thirty years, massive change from where you started to where you are now. Then I would certainly, at the very least, consider that a red a red flag, for sure. All right, very good. Um, how are we doing on time? We we're hour in, but I'm also respectful of your, your time. You, uh, can we do another 30 minutes or you guys want to wind down? It's up to you. Yeah, another 30 is fine. Yeah, yeah, that's good. All right. So uh, we we kind of, we spent a lot of time on the, the free will side. We didn't get the, very uh, far. Legend, right? <laughs> uh, which is important. I mean, there's a lot of emphasis on that. Let's talk about this one. You know, since we're having a lot of fun here, let's talk about people are born innocent. Okay. How about let me deal with that presupposition, right? Does that sound good? So let me give you more detail. Um, some of those, some of the, these who press the free will doctrine seem to believe, along with the Pelagians, sinners do not have Adam's guilt imputed or even his nature transmuted to them. Sure. Yeah. Awesome. I, yeah, it's one of those things where it, it is related to the whole idea of libertarian freedom. Uh, in yeah. general. And so part of what's, you know, like if you start with that assumption of like that, you know, that um, there is this idea of free will and that it, it does like affect every other area of their thinking too. So like in that way, sin is just simply a volitional act of the will. Um, and so they don't have a, a category for like the federal headship of Adam where Adam's you know, guilt is like they don't have a category for original guilt. In other words, that Adam's sin was, you know, basically uh, imputed to the entire human race. We enter into the world fundamentally, like not only inheriting his guilt, but then inheriting um, like a nature that orients itself to sin. And so, you know, for, for many people under that kind of system, essentially the first time you sin is when you make a volitional act so to speak. And you're, so it's almost like as if every individual is just re, like reliving out the fall, <laughs> so to speak. So they don't really have a, a doctrine of the fall in that way. Um, but where did you want to go with that? Do you have? Um, yeah. I mean, I think, I think you're hitting the nail on the head because uh, what we talked about free will and this uh, particular topic uh, go, it goes hand in hand because right. uh, you know, if you don't, if you have an unbiblical view of the nature of man, the nature of sin, as far as what state is man in, you know, right. uh, when I read a passage like Ephesians 2, 3, that says you were by nature children of wrath, right? You were, you were by nature. And then some people say, well, by nature means you were in an environment that cultivated mm -hmm. bad behavior. So it was inevitable, but there's nothing innate in the individual, in the creature. And so that's what I would 
that's the, the bottom line for me uh, is to say, no, that is innate in the creature. And that's why we need a savior because we are, we are slaves, right? Slaves to sin. I think one of the greatest uh, treatise uh, when I think about scripture is when you, when we read through Romans chapter six, right? I think Romans chapter six, I mean, go from the beginning of that chapter all the way to the end of the chapter, even go, you can even go start through chapter seven, but the idea of what it means to be a slave to this master. And the idea is that if you're a slave to that master, you do what that master says. Now, here's the interesting thing, uh, because you see this, this idea, even Jesus talks about it in John, right? That, John that six, those yeah. who are, are these sinners, you're, if you practice sin, you're a slave of sin. You're, you're a slave. You're obeying your master, and your master is the flesh, right? So this right. kind of uh, idea between the flesh and this new ram, the ram of the spirit, right? That through the gospel, right? That through Christ Jesus, uh, in this newness of life, this new status that we have. But here's the idea. Here's the problem. If you're a slave of sin, you're only going to obey that master. And so what you have in the Arminian view, essentially, is the slave of sin doing something contrary to their nature. And you need to be freed from the bondage of sin. In fact, the whole freedom language is so replete throughout the scriptures. Why do we need to be freed from anything if we can volitionally act in such a way to get the results that's needed, right? No, because we're in bondage to sin. All of mankind is in bondage to sin. And that bondage, yeah, I, hear some, I hear some people describe bondage almost like being physically chained. I'm sure you've heard that analogy before where you're chained down. But it's actually a willing bondage. You, you love your sin. It's not like you're like the, the, the lock is on the inside of the prison, right? Instead of being on the outside of the door, right? It's on the inside. You, the, that, that slave loves his sin. And so uh, that's why it's necessary that our, 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 our wills are freed, right? That we're freed from this bondage of sin. And uh, I love it. It says when the, if, if the sun sets you free, you are free indeed so all this the theme and language of freedom that's so replete that that kind of militates against the idea that i can kind of do this on my own right right can the ethiopian change his skin or the leopard change his oh there we go cannot you test him to doing evil learn to do good um but you know yeah i think the like the issue is that they there really is like under that kind of uh, system in general there is a rejection of the doctrine of total depravity um too so it like the, they don't um armenians don't believe that we're born with a fundamental problem that we need uh, help from the outside that our will is fundamentally in bondage to sin uh, you know as uh, martin luther is arguing and bible is arguing and everything else but yeah i think ultimately that that sort of viewpoint is kind of going back to that whole yeah man-centered view of the bible right this idea that um you know we don't start out sinful we just become sinful along the way right now now it may be they they say that that's even very early on we become sinful but it, it's still fundamentally trying to raise man up to a, a better position than what he is actually in right 
Uh, I mean, you know, Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all people because all sinned, right? We're all sinful. And and the good the good thing about Calvinism um, is that really it it takes things to the extreme in the best way possible, right? So Calvinism and in my understanding of it glorifies God in the most extreme way possible because it gives him all of the credit for everything, right? And it gives us none of the credit for any of it. And in the same way, you know, it, it also helps us understand that um, it, it helps us understand just how sinful we are, right? Just how evil and wicked we are. Right. And so, um, so, you know, you think about free will, like, okay, all right, sure. You want to, you want to have free will then, then great. But your free will choose a sin every single time well, that, because the reality is you me. love you love your sin, right? Yeah, that's how my experience. I mean, that's the thing. It uh, my like the Bible rings true. Uh, not not only because God says it, but it rings true to your experience. I mean, my experience before becoming a Christian was I couldn't will myself to want to read my Bible. I couldn't will myself to want to pray. I couldn't will myself to want to follow God. I mean, I. How do you will I, your how do you will yourself to put faith in in God? I mean you can't I can so I mean I I was running as fast fast from God as I could and then one day all of a sudden I want to fall like how does that happen? You know yeah. how does that happen apart from like a divine miracle? It, and it right. doesn't. You know I can't I, so I mean that was my experience. I'm just running as fast far away you know, far from God as I can and all of a sudden one day I want to serve him. I I don't know how to make sense of that other than I had a will yeah. that was chained in bondage to sin. And, you know, I was a, a slave to sin. And then one day God turned me around, you know? So, yeah, as he said, I was dead in my trespasses. He made me alive. That's the only way to make sense of my experience is since we're all about narratives and experience nowadays. Right. And, <laughs> so, Tim, Tim, what you brought up, you know, cause you say his experience, I always like to bring it back to the text of scripture. Um, because, we, we see in 1 Corinthians, I uh, want to say, is it 1 Corinthians? Yeah, I think it's 1 Corinthians. Dun, dun, dun. There's a lot of, yeah, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9 says, God is faithful. So it, it all hinges on him, what he does, his faithfulness, and carrying out what he has planned and purpose. And this is why I always go back, you know, for those that, and this is another topic, those who deny the idea of uh, the security of the believer, the uh, preservation of the saints, is like really what you're ultimately doing is impugning God, right? Because it, it, his, his, just like we talked about earlier, his, his attributes are on display and and him glorifying himself even through the redemption of sinners. So let me finish this verse. It says, "God is faithful by whom you were called." There's that word kaleo again, that word that doesn't mean the general call of the gospel, but the effectual calling, right? God energetically working to your to your point, Tim, into what? Fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you were called, energetically drawn into fellowship with Jesus Christ. By, and, it, and, it, and what hinges is the faithfulness of God to carry it out, to have a salvation that is... That's not just planned, but it actually comes to fruition in the in the salvation of sinners, right? Sinners right. like me and you, right? That that we we we're 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 the fruits of God's um, 
plan being carried out in time in redemptive history. And so uh, I think that's so important. The other thing is, is that you brought up something about, yeah, you're hearing the gospel and there's nothing happening, right? I mean, I think we can all attest to that at some point. You you hear the gospel preached and it's like, what's the difference? The difference is what God does. Right. That doesn't, and when I sometimes when I when I say that, people have a visceral reaction to that. It says, so you don't believe that the gospel is the is the, is the power of God unto salvation. I said, you gotta finish the statement to all who believe. <laughs> It says nothing about the person who doesn't believe. Romans chapter 1 says the same thing that 1 Corinthians chapter 1 says. It's the power of God unto salvation for those who do what? Believe. All the believing ones. Pos, ho, pros, duon. That's what it's talking about, the believing ones. So yes, we don't deny that God uses means in that gospel. We don't deny Romans 10. But the, the difference is not me being wise or me being smart. I'm talking about first your choice meat, man. Like one. as late. Yeah. Go as ahead. Layton, as Flower says, uh, it's all about you being a choice meat, right? <laughs> that's, that's what he likes to say. Yeah. <laughs> choice meats. I don't, I don't find that anywhere in scripture, but Hey, he likes to roll with that. So, um, you know, and it's not, we can't use things like, let me, you brought Layton flowers. Can't use the prodigal son. Talking about he's dead. My son was dead. Now he's alive. That completely, look, completely distorts the purpose of that parable and those that preceded it, right? There was a point that Christ was trying to make. And his point was about the nature of the father to receive sinners, right? Mm-hmm. Unlike those self-righteous Pharisees and scribes, right? He's making a juxtaposition between those two. And so um, we got to be careful how we use parables. That's a that's a topic for a different day. <laughs> All right. Um, I know that Harrison said he had some may have some internet issues, so I know he'll click the link and come back. No problem. Uh, no problem. If he's able to get back on, let me see if there are a few comments here we might be able to respond to. Let's see. Oh, Mockup said something else again here. He says, so many times free will believers criticize me for believing a God that will allow innocent children to go to hell. My only response is no one knows the faith, their faith, but God. Any thoughts on that comment? Because I hear this a lot. You know, a lot of times people will tug your emotional strings when you start talking about things like um, original sin Total depravity, uh, this thing about babies that gets brought up quite a bit. Uh, yeah, I mean, about- yeah, I mean, people you know deal with that in different ways. So yeah. mean, there's an age of accountability kind of discussion that um, that is had along those lines, and uh, and you know there's um, I guess the Baptist view view is like typically the age of accountability uh, kind of discussion. Presbyterians have kind of like the elect, not elect infant kind of discussion. Uh, but then part of it, you know, leaving that aside, you know, what, whether or not the Bible teaches something like elect or not elect infants or, I mean, he certainly did in Jacob Esau case, but, but I mean, leaving that aspect aside, I mean, the, the greater problem is the idea of God sending people to hell in general. It's not really about, you know, leave children off the table. Like you have adults too that yeah. like the, the, the issue is the problem with hell that God 
would send individuals to hell who, you know, many of which who haven't received an offer of the gospel in their life. And that's like fundamentally, that's the issue. And you really do have to look at that issue in the eye and say, um, do I believe in the kind of God who whose holiness is so great and and who did create a hell and so ultimately it's a it, it is a question about hell in general i think more more than you have to make your peace with that doctrine period um but you have anything you want to add to that no uh i, I you know i think what we have to do i mean i i've kind of what you know, i go where where the bible is the bible doesn't is not definitive saying this is going to happen with children right i mean people will go to david the death of his child and try to make yeah. something out of that but here's the thing what we what we ultimately see in scripture, and I think we can even start with Adam, his sin, his rebellion, uh, at the very beginning in Genesis, God is more merciful than we could ever think or imagine. Sure. So whatever God decides to do, he's within his divine right. I think part of what people are trying to do is somehow smuggle in some uh level of injustice about God, what God does. God has the divine right over the clay, right? And so whether you're a, a baby or an adult. Right. At the end of his life, God has the divine right. And whatever God does is just and good. In fact, psalmist says that God is good and does good. So we we can't ever put ourselves as being in the position of judge when it comes to the actions of God. And I think a, a lot of a lot of what I hear when I hear people talk about babies and other things like that, or it's not fair that somebody didn't hear the gospel and, and what's going to happen. Is it, 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 it's an attempt to try to say, if God, there's something not quite right with God. And that's the same lie you see in Genesis chapter three with Satan uh, talking to Eve. Something God's just not right. I know he provided all this stuff for you, but he's holding back. He's holding back. And it's the same lie of Satan, I think. Uh, and I, I know that may be strong language, but I believe that wholeheartedly is that that's what's ultimately being smuggled in. Uh, is that God, you know, we got to believe what, what scripture says, right? James 1, that that God, he's the father of lights and every good and perfect gift comes from him. And therein, there's no variation of shifting shadow. Contrasted right. to sin, right? Where does sin come from? It comes from within us. It's birthed within us and leads to death. God doesn't tempt us to sin, right? You're carried away because of your own lust, your own desires. So there's a there is a distinction being made there between the righteousness and holiness of God and sinfulness of man. Well, and I and think we, we do under see that clearly. We underestimate, you know, how sinful we actually are, yeah. you know, and I, I, I can't even go a few minutes without sinning in some way, you know, and it, it, I mean, it really is the case that you, you know, you think that you would be so different, you know, how could the Jews put Jesus to death? But I mean, if you were there, you would have done it too. Uh, and you know that you would have done it too, because just look at how many times, you know, what his word says and you, violated anyways and, yeah. and you know if you have any kind of sensitivity about the nature of your heart you realize that you know god is like an all good all benevolent being who's never done you anything wrong and yet you've you know spent most of your life in one way or another you know basically telling him that you don't care about what he says and you'd rather do it your own way and even as a christian i, I mean you're being progressively conformed into his image but you still sin you still sin on a daily basis whether in thought or deed or you know, attitude or, you know, right. action, like you, you, we, we have a big problem and God is so merciful to us. And like the issue is, I mean, the, the real issue is not like, how could God send people to hell? The issue is how could he save anyone? <laughs> that's the real quick. That's yeah. the real question. Like if you understand really how bad we are.
Yeah, and it, it really, oh man, and it, this is what I you basically took word for word what I was explaining to a young man yesterday when he was trying to say it was unfair if people didn't get the opportunity to be saved, right? Well, there are, sure. there are millions of people all throughout time, you know, that have never heard the gospel, right? Is and God were, unjust? And that gets back to one of the presuppositions we haven't gotten to where... You romanticize them too, though. I mean, those yeah. people that haven't been saved, they're the ones sacrificing other people, ripping their hearts out and eating them. And, you know, so, I mean, like we... Yeah. like there, It's not as if there, there's just yeah. these wonderful people out there who are yeah. just, you know, um, innocent, you know, never done anything wrong in their life kind right. of people. I mean, just look at where our society is going right now and you'll see evidence right. of total depravity everywhere your eyes can yeah. see. Like we've given ourselves over to insanity and we're a country that's been influenced by the light of the gospel. I could think about how bad things actually get when you, when you reject all that. And like, there isn't this just innocent, you know, noble, you know, uh, person out there that, so we're just dramatically underestimating like the reality of the damaging effects of sin in the world. Now, speaking of total depravity, this is a apropos comment here. I don't know if you were aware of the live stream that uh, K-Dub had uh, earlier this evening, but it was something else. I I was checking it out. Uh, oh, really? I don't know if you know who Joe Lumen is. is I, I haven't heard of him. Okay. You're not missing anything, my friend. Um, <laughs> so K-Dub had, um, she calls herself a theologian, a Christian. She was on the channel and she denies the, the, what the, t the scriptures actually teach. It's amazing. Mm. Uh, and even thinks it's oppressive to tell people they need Jesus. Right, uh, a form of uh, totalitarianism, right? Colonialism. So <laughs> it it was an interesting conversation. I, I give um, K Dub a lot of credit for having that conversation because I it was it was pretty stressful and pretty tense. Uh, but he's here. He left that comment. That's why he's saying saw toe depravity face to face tonight. And I do want to say this about toe depravity is that sometimes people and I know K Dub doesn't think this because we've talked about this before one on one. Um, there seems to be this caricature of total depravity. That doesn't mean uh, as sinful as you can be. That's not total right. depravity. In fact, total depravity, you will find total depravity within, even within the uh, corridors of, of religion, sure. moralism. There's total depravity, right? Because anything that does not set itself to glorify God is sin. Right. Anything that is not directed to our, our creator is sinful it's it's direct anything directed to the creed even if it appears from the standpoint of man to be altruistic to be noble uh that's Mother, the wrong way of judging it right yeah. that's the wrong way of judging what's going on yeah yeah total depravity doesn't mean that everyone is as bad as hitler <laughs> yeah, there we go. There uh, but we that go. every aspect of uh, every aspect of our being, our mind, our That's will, right. emotions, our affections, are totally yeah. uh, and, and comprehensively affected by Like the person, I think one of the signal examples, like think about uh, Matthew 7. You know, we often think about where it says, you know, the, you know, you will know them by their fruits and you get towards Matthew 7, 21 and following. And it talks about, Lord, Lord, didn't I do all these things? So even this idea of self-righteousness. Right is a is a demonstration of total depravity that i can merit anything is is a demonstration of that as well i think at some level so it, it, it works as anything where it works its way out where you have the wrong you have the sure. wrong law the wrong in like the law of god the word of god the wrong motivation right the love of god to the, and the wrong ends to the glory of god 
any, any action that we do falls within that umbrella of total depravity, even from the vantage point of man, may look perfectly okay. Sure. I, I think the more that God removes his restraining hand, you know, on our society, the more, though, that we'll see uh, how how bad we can, how, how total, uh, you know, how how bad the depravity can actually get, for sure. Yeah. So uh, we're going to be winding down. I mean, we, we could have gotten going more into the, uh, we covered two, we covered two of the 12. <laughs> I, th I thought the list of 12 was somewhat optimistic, but. <laughs> yeah, I, I told you from the beginning, look, you know, how I have an outline. That way I knew we, we were going to be good because we had a lot of things we could have talked about. We got one and talked and a half about done. free will and mm -hmm. choice. And we talked about uh, uh, original sin and, the sin nature of man. So we, we covered some things that are, are highly contested and debated right. often, right? And so sure. I think we, we covered some good ground. That's right. Uh, so we got a few more comments. I'm going to just check these out. Nicholas here. Nicholas has a, he's a, he's a content producer as well. Nicholas, you know Nicholas, proclaimer of Messiah? You familiar I, with him? I am not. Okay, I have to yeah. look him up after this. Uh, I think he has two channels. I think one, he's putting more emphasis on the other one. He's not. Excellent live, brothers. I got to go. Shalom. It's always Shalom with Nicholas. That's how I know it's really him, because he always says Shalom. Okay. Um, let's see. What is he saying? Put, pull yourself up by your bootstraps up that holy mountain. So he must be talking about, uh, you know, us making the choice to choose God without God giving us that, giving us faith and repentance. So that right. I think, you know, that's what I often hear all that. Well, we can choose. We can choose God. Well, careful, careful now, careful now. Uh, and, and just because you can make choices doesn't mean you're choosing the right choice, the ultimate right choice. Right. We what we ultimately choose to do as uh, people without the spirit of God is sin. That's what we ultimately choose to do. Right without it's like, god so it's uh, like a like a lion you know you you can put vegetables in front of him and yeah you know he can he can theoretically choose to eat those vegetables he, if he wanted to but then his nature won't allow him go. to there we you go. know so it's, it's that kind of thing like obviously you know if we wanted to trust in jesus like i mean it's it's an option on the table but our nature won't allow us to go that way yeah so we're going to go ahead, ladies and gentlemen. I don't know what happened to Harold. Oh, he was here the whole time. <laughs> oh, I'm so I'm back. sorry. No, it's okay. It's okay. Oh, I only, I only, like, oh, I only just got room. back. Oh. I only just got back. Oh, you just so. got back? Oh, yeah, thank yeah. you. Yeah, you're good. You. I, I, you're good. I, I'm, I'm relieved. I'm so relieved because I'm looked down like, oh, man, I hope he hasn't been waiting. <laughs> just in time to, to just say goodbye. To <laughs> yeah, hey, now. look, that, that's what I try to do. I try to you know wait till the end and then swoop in and take all the credit. So. <laughs> That's right. Doing it with style, Harrison. Doing it with style. <laughs> so we, we, I think this has been a wonderful live stream. You know, we covered about two the two the twelve topics, but it was well worth the time, right? I mean, digging in and having this wonderful discussion, even answered a few questions. If there are any prayer requests, uh, please leave those in the chat. Uh, there were a few earlier, um, but if you have any prayer requests, uh, feel free to leave those. And uh, any closing remarks, gentlemen, before we wind this down? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, I, th I think my closing remark would just be um, a lot of times people can really recoil when it comes to uh, Calvinism. When they when they hear it, they kind of they just they they want to um, 
I mean, just reject it basically because it sounds really, it sounds bad um, for some reason. And what I, what I encourage people to do is, is just look at it for what it is. And, and I said this earlier, but I think it, it bears repeating Calvinism really does. It takes a lot of things to their extremes, right? So it glorifies God to the extreme and it, it communicates just how sinful we are to the extreme, but it also, it also communicates just how merciful and loving God is to the extreme. Because when you understand how glorious God is, when you understand how powerful he is, when you understand how sinful we are, and then you understand that in spite of all of those things, the fact that we actually bring literally nothing to the table like there's nothing that we have that God requires. Um, when you understand all of those things and then know that in spite of all of that, he sent his son to die in our place. And, and not only did he send his son, but I mean, all, all three persons of the Trinity are working for salvation. It's not only the son. Now the son does, a, a, I mean, a crucial, crucial part of it. But when you understand all of those things, I think that really, it helps you understand just how much God, does care for us and does love us um, and and how much mercy he's showing to us. And so that's what I always try to point people to in these kinds of conversations. Don't think about it like, hey, I'm I'm being violated. My free will is being violated. You know, this this doesn't sound right. It feels weird. Just understand that this is this is really helping us understand how glorious God is, how merciful he is and how sinful we are. Amen. Yeah. I mean, I know for me, in my own personal experience, I, you know, when I, the more I embraced a, you know, libertarian view of human freedom, it, the more it led me to despair because I realized that like, I, like, there's really no point in praying because prayer, prayer doesn't do anything. It's not going to matter, you know, because everything is ultimately up to me and it's up to my decisions. It's up to my choices. Uh, but then the problem was that, you know, my, I, I couldn't get myself to want to follow God. I couldn't get myself to want to read the Bible. I couldn't get myself to pray. And I looked at the harsh realities of the world around me. And I just saw that people are like, we, we're just, we're the same, you know, like, um, you know, apart from God, God's grace, we're not like, we, we just commit the same kind of sins, you know, that are painful and frustrating over and over and over again, you know, me against others, others against me. And there's just no answer to be found in my will, you know, and I, I read, uh, I think Jerry Bridges book, you know, trusting God, you know, he has a quote that if there's like one event that can happen in this is a butchering of the quote throughout the history of the world, uh, apart from God's sovereign plan, you can't trust him. And, you know, I live that out. I live that out that if God wasn't sovereign, I couldn't trust him. And there's no point in even following a God that I couldn't trust who was impotent, you know? So for me, it was just a great source of comfort just to read the Bible and realize that like God is sovereign and he's in control and he, he's a powerful God who can change lives. And he, he changed my life. You know, he, he fundamentally changed my life and turned me around and I can't take any credit for that. You know, I was a scoundrel and all of a sudden I want to, read the Bible a lot and, you know, be one of those guys that everyone calls a legalist and everything else. Like, I don't have any answer. I, why did that happen? Well, it's, it's, it's to the praise of his glorious grace. It's because he's sovereign. And at some point he wanted to save me. And, you know, I, I can't take any credit for that. And, but then that gives you confidence to know that no matter, you know, your loved one could be deep, you know, in sin 
And that's nothing to God. If God wants to save him, he can, you know, and if, and you just pray for him that he will, you know, because he can, he can do abundantly more than we can ask or think. And he's not limited by, you know, our wills. Amen. Double amen for both Harrison and Tim's comments. Um, and as we close here, gentlemen, how can they find you online? We have several people here still hanging out with us after an hour and 30 minutes. How can they find you online? <laughs> yeah, you can just go and, and search on YouTube for the Bible Bash podcast, and that'll take you to our channel. Um, we also we also put out an audio version of the podcast. And so just search the Bible Bash podcast and it should pull up on you know Spotify, um, Apple Podcasts, pretty much anywhere that you would find a, a uh, where you listen to podcasts yeah, or you can you can also look us up on facebook or either a podcast on uh bible bash podcast or us as individuals on that and friend us there yeah all right very good it was a pleasure having this wonderful conversation with both of you uh for those who are still here stay tuned for this coming thursday when i start the uh identifying false teachers series so looking forward to starting that this coming thursday at 6 p.m eastern standard time or eastern time sometimes i forget i know eastern daylight time eastern time to say that et uh that will be taking place and starting commencing this coming thursday so everyone once again thank you for spending time with us as we talk theology everyone enjoy your evening and whatever you do whether you eat or drink do all to the glory of god amen 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 this has been another episode of Bible Bashed. We hope you have been encouraged and blessed through our discussion. We thank you for all your support and ask you to continue to like and subscribe to Bible Bashed and share our podcast with your friends and on social media. Please reach out to us with your questions, pushback, and potential topics for us to discuss in future episodes at BibleBashedPodcast at gmail.com and consider supporting us through Patreon. If you would like to be Bible Bashed personally, then please know that we also offer free biblical counseling, which you can take advantage of by emailing us. Now, go boldly and obey the truth in the midst of a biblically illiterate world who will be perpetually offended by your every move.